0: I believe we got a little fire in the house. It's good. Very good. Good to see everybody, and I hope you had a wonderful week. Welcome to those of you that might be watching by live stream. Just picked up some friends from our church who are in Costa Rica, just sent me a nice text, and so they enjoyed the service all the way down there. You know, Luther had the printing press. Billy Graham had TV. Our generation has social media. The internet, big, big, big advantage. You can connect with the world almost instantly. So, I'm glad to connect with you, and glad you're here. We're in a series called Your Life Matters. We talked about the first week, identity, and we talked about how you get identity from a family first. Everybody is born into a family. Nobody got here by a stork. You were born through a, from a womb into this world through a family. might have been a good one, a broken one, but you were birthed into a family. And that's where you kind of picked up an idea, right or wrong, who you were, what you were about. You'll never be anything. You'll never do anything. Why can't you be like your sister or your brother? And so, a lot of our misshaped identity comes out of a, of a bad family environment. God only has two families, a natural family, that's what you were born into, and a spiritual family. So, you're born into the first family through the flesh. You're born again into a spiritual family, the family of God, the church, by the Holy Spirit when you accept Jesus. The first birth through a womb gives you your gender, male, female. Gives you your race—African-American, Caucasian, Hispanic, Asian, Italian, uh, whatever. Uh, and, and it gives you your nationality—Italian, L- American, uh, uh, Iraqi, uh, wh- whatever. You, how'd you get that? Birth. Natural birth. So, if you are born of the Spirit, then you lose that. You, you now—God says, now there's no male, no female— No Jew, no Gentile, no Caucasian, African American, Hispanic. Uh, You are one in Christ Jesus. So we're birthed into His family by His Spirit. It does not have a racial identity. Sorry. It does not have a gender identity. It does not have a political ideology. It has a spiritual unity. It has a father who's not abusive, who loves you. He says, I've got great plans for you, and I've never changed my mind, no matter how sorry you've been or how bad your past has been. haven't changed my mind one bit about how valuable you are and what my plans for you are. They're good. They're not evil. And so, I learned to get my new identity in this new family uh, from what God's Word says from my father. And it, it rebuilds self-esteem, res- restoration, uh, a fresh perspective of who I am and what I can do by being birthed into that family. So I, I urge everybody, this is not a country club. This is not a white church, a black church, a Hispanic church. This is not a denominational church. It's just a church of Jesus, and it ought to have every kind of race in it, every kind of people in it, doing all kinds of things. I'm just one among many in a great family. And I love my family. That's why God uses the terms brother and sister. That's family talk. And that's exactly what we are with family. Hey, brother, how you doing? Hey, sister, how you doing? Well, Would you welcome to the stage uh, Brother uh, Jerry or something? Because that's family talk. And so, you're in a, a family. This is the Summit family. God's got a great, great big family. Most of our problems in America are not political or educational or economic. Primarily, they are spiritual. Always has been. Always will be. So, we're going to look at a guy in 2 Samuel, chapter 6, by the name of David. And David had a plan for a city. And God has a plan for the cities and for our nation now. And the key is the church working together and doing some key things to bring God's presence and power to a city, to your school, to a college, wherever you are. You're going to find out your life matters so much that God wants to use you as an instrument to carry His presence wherever you happen to go. They couldn't do that in the Old Testament. They had to carry a box called the Ark of the Covenant. So, Second Samuel chapter 6, verse 3 and 9. They set the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. Uza and Ohio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the Ark of God on it. And Ohio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with uh, all kinds of musical instruments and symbols. When they came to the threshing floor of Nahon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen had stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died right there beside the ark of God. Then David became angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and to this day that place is called Perez-Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can I bring the ark of the Lord to me? Well, uh, here's a king. He's got a great desire, a good desire, to bring the presence and power and glory of God to his city, Jerusalem. I kind of live with the dream that one day we can live in a nation that's more Christian than pagan where my kids can go to a secular school, be a Christian, and still be part of a majority. That's not going to happen by some mystical fog settling over a community. God's got a plan. And God's plan, because your life matters, is for His people to carry His glory to the cities. Now David tried to do it, but he did it the wrong way. Instead of carrying the ark of God on the shoulders of the priests, he took it and put it on a cart pulled by oxen. So the ark was designed to be carried not pulled. And the good news is that because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all believers in the New Testament are priests and kings unto God. You could not be a priest and a king in the Old Testament. Hezekiah, uh, Uzziah, some of these kings offered incense illegally and were smitten in their face with with leprosy because—and died because they— They violated God's law and crossed over into the priesthood as a king. That was forbidden. So, Jesus comes along in the new covenant, and He makes us king priests. So, now we have authority to bind, to loose, whatever you ask in My name, I will do it. Resist the enemy. He will flee from you. Authority, kingship. Didn't have that in the Old Covenant. And I'm a priest. I offer sacrifices. I can talk to God personally. I don't have to go to an earthly priest. I am a priest. I am a king. And the Bible says there is one mediator between God and man. How many? One. The man, Christ Jesus. Mary isn't there. Mary is a precious, godly, virtuous woman to be honored and respected, but she's not your intermediary. You might as well put your mother-in-law on the dashboard, and you'll do just as good. There's one, uno, mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus. And so, my prayers are only and always directed to Him, and I have the right of direct access to the Father. You didn't have that in the Old Testament. You had to go through the priest. Do you realize what a better covenant we have today, what a better privilege, so I can offer the sacrifice of praise, I can offer the sacrifice of time, my money, my talent, my treasure, make sacrifices all the time, because that's what priests do. They offer sacrifices. So in the New Testament, all believers have a responsibility to carry the glory of God over their life to school, to colleges, to the marketplace, to neighborhoods. God's plan for every city is you and me. Your life matters. Now something happened when Uza touched that ark to try to stop to steady it. He violated God's rule that it's not by might, not by power, but God doesn't need anybody to help Him, and He had to make an example. So now David's afraid. So they park the ark and and take it to the house of Obedidim. Boy, I wish they had names like Sam and Fred, but Obedidim. And they ask him if they can put the ark of God in his house. He says, yeah, come on in. And it says in verse 10 through 12, and the Lord blessed Obadidim and all of his household, and everything that pertained to him. That means blessing is not an accident, it's a consequence. Obedidim allowed God into his home, and everything he had, and everything he was, and everything he did got blessed by God. In 3 John 2, it says, Beloved, I pray above all things that you may prosper in everything and be in health even as your soul prospers. So, the blessing and favor of God is just as available to me and you as it was to obed But like obed first, you have to put out the welcome mat and say, God, you're welcome in my family. You're welcome in my business. You're welcome in my life. And as he comes in, your soul starts to prosper on the inside, and then the blessing becomes obvious on the outside. It's an awesome picture of grace. I mean, Obedidim did not work for this privilege. He didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. He just answered the door and said, come in. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I'll come in. That's God's invitation to you, just like Obadidim. And when he came in, look at all the good stuff. Obadidem didn't work, didn't deserve it. He just answered the door. And when you invite the Lord in, he changes everything. Everything Obadidim did, and everything he had, Scripture says, was blessed. His health got better. His dandruff cleared up. His kids stopped fighting on the way to church for three months. He had planted crops that would explode out of the ground. His cows gave different flavors of milk. I mean, the dude had it going. What did he do for that? He just invited the glory of God to come on in the house. For three months, it stayed there. I would that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Let God into your life your family, your business. Deal with your heart. Deal with your attitude. Welcome the presence of God in your home. Bless the rooms of your children. Ask God to use those kids. I want the favor of God on my family. I hope you do. I pray for my wife to be fruitful in every way except childbearing. I bind you. No, no. I pray the presence and favor of God over my finances. You should too. It's right to do so. It is scriptural to do so. Verse 12 it says, So David brought the ark of God to the city of David. Now remember, David's watched for three months. Nothing bad's happened to Obadidim. Everything Obadidem does, everything Obadem has, is getting blessed. And David's watching it. And David's not jealous. He's not critical. He's not insecure. He said, I want that blessing of God over my nation and over my people. That's a good thing. See, when you see the favor of God on another church, another person, another family, don't get negative. Don't get critical. Just say, I want what they've got. Lord, I want your blessing on my life, too. That's important. So, David went up and brought the ark of God from Obed-Edom's house to the city of David with gladness. In the Old Testament, God's presence literally was on that ark. If you watched Indiana Jones, you've seen that little gold box with the cherubs on it, the mercy seat, and God's literal presence was on that box. Really. In the New Covenant, we're told that God will not dwell in a temple made with hands anymore. And St. Paul says, you now— Are the temple of God. So, it's not a box carried on by priest. It is now we are the priest and we all carry God's presence, God's power, and God's glory wherever we go. Really cool. And I get asked all the time, well, what would happen if we opened that ark? Because in the Bible, if they did that, people got killed by the thousands. Well, nothing would happen because His presence now is gone. It's in you. It's nothing in there. Secondly, you're not going to find it. When Titus sacked Jerusalem in 70 A.D., he took everything, burned everything up, melted the gold down, took it away, and they keep searching for the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, and like it's a rabbit's foot. If we could just find it and rub it, ooh, you know, I'd get, I'd get well or something. I, my arthritis would go away. My, my high blood pressure would calm down. Nope. It's just an artifact. Ain't nothing going to happen. It served its purpose, first the natural, then the spiritual. And so now, the Holy Spirit dwells in people. That is, you are the temple, the building of God. And He says, you can build all the temples you want, but I'm not going to dwell in them. You're the only temple I'm going to ever dwell in again. Now, that's Acts 7, Acts 17. You can read that, okay? Now, He says, serve the Lord with gladness, Psalms 100, verse 2. A growing church must be fun to be part of. Serve the Lord with sadness. No, that's 9 o'clock. Serve the Lord with gladness. Don't you like being in a happy home? Don't you like to walk in and visit a happy family? Well, heck, everybody does. And the same goes for a happy family in a church. It's not a sad place. It's a happy place. It's fun to be part of. It doesn't mean we don't have times of seriousness. It just means that overall, it's a place of joy and the presence of God and hilarity, a, a very glad smile, you know. Be, laugh a little bit. It doeth good like a medicine. It's a fun place to be. So, let's take a look real quick at five factors and bringing the glory of God to the city to show your life matters, and since you're the priesthood now, God wants you to carry it. Let's look at the pattern that David used, and watch what we can do first. You have to be committed to sacrifice. 2 Samuel 6, verse 13, when those who were carrying the ark of God had taken six steps, they sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. So every six steps, they sacrificed oxen and sheep and bullocks. Now, it was about 12 miles from obed house to the city of David. So, if they sacrificed every six steps, a rough calculation said there would have been possibly two and a half thousand sacrifices on the path of taking God to their city. If we're going to see a revival of any kind, there has to be a revival of passion for lost people, a passion for the power of God, and a passion for a spirit of generosity. That's what sacrifice is. David was sacrificing because of who God was and because of what God was about to do. He was sowing in advance and preparing the way for God's awesome power through the act of sacrifice. He sacrificed his best time, talent, and treasure. You know, when you withhold, you rob God of the opportunity to express His essence and nature, which is He is a generous and loving Father. Generosity characterizes this God. Good gifts come from a loving father. If you had one in your natural family, you know what a blessing that was. Well, your heavenly Father's a better one. Luke 11, 13, if you, fathers, broken, fallen, imperfect, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your heavenly Father give to you to those who ask Him? And I love what I love. I love to give. I love to sacrifice to what I love. Sacrifice is something that hurts, something you don't typically just want to do that's not comfortable in doing. When you give something you won't miss, that's not a sacrifice. When you give something away that doesn't work anymore, that's not a sacrifice. And that's what most Christians do. Why is it called, give to God the sacrifice of praise? Because I didn't feel like it. That's nine o'clock. They didn't do much sacrificing, and some of you don't either, but it is a sacrifice when it means a lot to you. I've been married 41 years to this, uh, this picture of estrogen sitting over here, and I have to <laughs> sacrifice a lot. Uh, I do things with her I don't want to do. I'll watch a movie I don't want to go see because she wants to go see it. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do things when my flesh doesn't want to do it. You, you don't mind sacrificing and being generous with people you love. Any of you young men in here or any of you old men that remember when you dated and loved somebody, money just flew out of your pocket? It, you might have been poor or rich, but what you had came out. I, but am I lying? No. You didn't say, oh, crud, I got to spend some money on glory at night. No, you couldn't wait to get the car and go to a movie or go get a hamburger or something you, or, buy a, or buy a birthday present. And that's—it's just easy to do it when you love someone. Then you have children, and I can't do enough for my children, but I'm limited by how much I make. I'm limited by my ability and opportunity. Now I have grandchildren, and I love them equally, and I want to do good things for those children. And sometimes God will remind me while I'm busy trying to provide and do something for them, if you think being fallen and broken that you have such love for your children— and would do anything if you had the power and the money to do it, how much more will I do for you, if you'll ask me? And I get all overwhelmed by that sometimes. That's the kind of daddy we have. Every kid should have a generous daddy. He should be an easy mark, particularly for daughters. Should be. Now, I don't get bewitched. I don't get witchcraft. I don't get finessed. I don't get seduced. I am a willing participant. I know what's going on. But I love to do it. And when we love God, my goodness, what, a, what an opportunity to sacrifice our time, to serve our talent, whether you sing, play, run a camera, have whatever it, it, it may be, hospitality, your, fi- your treasure, your finances, making sacrifices. There, there is, you know, there's no cost in death. If you have a dead child, he doesn't cost you a dime. But if you have a child alive and growing, He's going to cost you to the day you die. That's the price of life. A growing church, a growing family is always going to have need. And there will always be a need to sacrifice till the day we leave this earth. It's not a one-time weekend deal. It's all the time. And when you love someone, it's easy to do that and to be generous. You have to question someone's love for God that resents any sacrifice. So, if you sow, you reap through the act of sacrifice. Giving is an indicator of what you think about your God, just the same as it is husbands that give up, won't buy clothes for themselves, but will buy for their wife to have something nice to wear because of the love for them. It's a sacrifice. Happy wife, happy life. It's cheaper than alimony, and I could get an amen from a whole lot of you out there and attorney's fees. Number two, enthusiasm. Verse 14, wearing a linen ephod, that would be like an undergarment gown, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. David stripped off his kingly robes, which were symbols of his authority, his position as a king, his nobility. And he stood before God in humility and worshiped Him with everything he had. It says he was dancing before the Lord with all his might. David was passionate about his God. He was enthusiastic. There is nothing irreverent or wrong with dancing. Read the Psalms. Let us praise Him in the dance. And you see these illustrations given over and over in Scripture. Well, we don't do that in our church. Well, then get another church because we do that in the Bible. Well, that's Pentecostal. No, no, that's Bible. That is Bible for Baptist, Lutheran, Episcopalian, Catholic, or Charismatic Scripture. And you can leap and dance. And some of you old people, you can at least kind of move your feet. You can move your feet when we're praising the Lord, a little dance beat. That's not ungodly. That's holy to the Lord. And that's what God says right here. Some, I love it when all the young people and some of the adults get down here and praise God and they're loud and they're j- joyful and they dance. Do it. I wish some of you would come over at 9 o'clock and do it. We need a Fred Astaire or something close in there, or what do you call it, to learn how. It's just like some of you culture has, has, has shaped you, and it shaped you wrong. Sorry, but this is a, a good place of enthusiasm and passion. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. See, if you're not going all the way, don't go at all. It's passionate people that move the masses. I love—it could be as simple as one of you girls find a girl that you like that does nails, and she's just passionate. That's her life. She loves it. And people always want to book her, and she's always booked up because she doesn't just do a manicure. She's passionate about it. She's artistic in doing it. Ah, it's, it's part of her life. She loves doing it. You know, do what you love, and money will follow. And people that do well love what they do. Some of you need to find what you love to do and do more of it instead of being afraid of it. Martin Luther King Jr. didn't say, you know, folks, I've got a suggestion. He said, I have a dream. And he shook a nation, and that dream and that passion affected and changed the nation. Abundant life is passionate living. Get excited about life. No one is attracted to death. Passion attracts people secularly and spiritually. Get on fire. People will come watch you burn. Really? We got the best message in town. And then number three, celebration. Verse 15, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of God with shouts and the sound of trumpets, See, churches are getting a fresh revelation of the power of praise and worship. God inhabits the praises of His people. When we celebrate God through praise and worship, we're putting out a welcome mat spiritually saying, God, come. If God inhabits the praises of His people, I don't think He shows up much at 9 o'clock. I'm just reading Scripture. But when you become a real praiseworthy people, and we put the words up so you can at least see them and mouth them, God says, praise me. Offer to me the sacrifice of praise. You read Revelation, and you can't hear for the thunder. It sounds like the thunder of many waters, and it's the angelic host, t- ten thousands of thousands, praising this great God. And you sit in church dead as Julius Caesar. Some of you are going up first in the rapture, because it says the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's not good. I, I be passionate about what you do. God inhabits the praises of His people. Trumpets shouting. It was noisy. Effective churches around the world are noisy churches. I've preached in some of the biggest ones in the world. This month I'll preach in a church of 20,000 in Singapore and in Jakarta, and I'm telling you it is noisy. There is music and worship and dancing and praising, and those Asians get at it. I'm telling you it's really, really good. There's joy. There's gladness. There's hope. It's ecstatic. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. You know, I've preached in a few all-African-American churches. They'll shout you down. Even if you suck, they will shout you down. They They may say, help him, Jesus. But I like it. And I'm telling you, let the mule out of the barn. If you come from a shouting background, for God's sake, you shout. It is right to shout. That is a good thing. It's all through the Bible. It is clear Scripture. Clapping your hands is not Pentecostal, it's Bible. Clap your hands, all ye people. That means everybody, everybody. So when the band gets up here and they're clapping, I'm trying to build a culture of liberty. For God's sake, clap. Do something. I've gone to Tina Turner concerts, and I've gone to the Rolling Stones, and I watch people from all backgrounds, probably all religions, or non- and they'll clap, and they'll sing. It won't even be in key, but you're being covered up by such great singing. So, when we all praise together, even if you don't have a good voice, nobody knows, but you're, God's glad to see some praise coming out of you. That's a good thing to do. Don't stop that. I remember once watching Elvis Presley before he st- in Vegas rehearsing for his comeback in 1968, and James Burton was his lead guitar player. And he had the Memphis Mafia around him sitting out there, and there was a little stuff going on in the rehearsal, and Elvis stopped it. And he turned around to James Burton, who was the leader of the band and the lead guitar player, and he said, James. You don't start when they say, you start when I say. So I want everybody to know, you don't shout when they say, You can shout whenever you want, because I say, I want you to shout. Don't you let other people that are cold and frigid and stoic and have too much dignity to restrain you from shouting unto God, or any point in Scripture we read that magnifies and gives honor to God, you say, yeah, baby, amen. Praise God. You say, well, people will look at me. Fine. I'll look at you and say, thank you. But more than that, God will too. I don't want to be part of a quiet church, a barren, dead church. This is not a honky church. This is a church that has all kinds of cultures in it. Hey, hello, man. Now, where were you when I needed you? I love that. And even if I'm not doing real good, that's good. At least folks will think I did good if you shout good. He goes on to say, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So, if you're breathing, you are required to praise. It's not an option. It's family behavior in the kingdom. Ever notice in sports that the winning team is noisy? That bench will shout. They will jump off the bench, jump on players, fall to the ground, pile on. they go crazy. Well, we, the Church of Jesus Christ is the winning team, hello. And it's kind of sad. That when David—we're making progress, Lord—when David's wife, Michael, saw David dancing and leaping, it says she despised him in her heart. You lost your mind. What will my friends at the country club say? We've, we've just—I un- can't believe you behaved this way. What will our friends down at the voting depot say about us? What will my dignified friends say? This is Michael. This is, you know what church she goes to right here, huh? Yeah. Despised him. And every church, you'll find them. They're called critics. Just like in the world of sports, the untrained, the overweight, the unfit, they have all the advice for the guys doing it on the field. (laughs) Music's too loud, service too long, too short, air's too cold, we didn't get enough prophecies, yada, yada, yada. You'll never find a statue or a memorial to a critic. The world remembers those who gave life a go. Give it your best. Get involved. Now, verse 17 through 19, David has brought the ark of God to Jerusalem. There's great celebration. It says, Then David gave to all, both men and women, a portion of bread, a date cake, a raisin cake, and a flagon of wine that'll keep you regular. That's like a brand muffin and coffee. David, David, (laughs) I have an unsanctified mind, okay? I I put myself in this thing. David's got a blast. He's brought God to town, and they're in a party mode. And then he comes home to bless his household. Honey, I'm home. And the temperature drops 40 degrees. And Michael meets David with sarcasm. How glorious was the king of Israel today, dancing before the eyes of the servant girls. Disgusting. Number four, boldness. This is verse 21 and 22. And then David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father Saul or any of your brothers when he appointed me ruler over God's people Israel. So, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, O oh girl, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. And by these same slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in high honor." In other words, he's saying, you hadn't seen anything yet, O oh girl, and if that bothered you, you better reload your girdle, because it's going to get worse. <laughs> Boldness is not arrogance. We must be confident and courageous people in a day of fear and panic and unsettleness. Every believer should be bold. You've been given authority as a king. You've been given authority to resist the enemy. You've been given authority to bind and loose. Whatsoever you ask in my name, He will do it. You've been given unquestioned power and authority. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it, but it's through Jesus by His power of the Holy Spirit. And so, when trouble comes, and it will come to your family, to your money, to your health, to a loved one, to a friend, when a crisis arises in your business, you're not helpless. You don't have to call the government. You can stand up over that desk and say, in the name of Jesus, I bind this. I command you to leave in the name of Jesus. You can do it with health. You can do it with finances. You can do it with an unexpected lawsuit. You can do it with anything, but don't panic. Don't you ever panic. You show boldness. There's nothing to be afraid of. You should not be in—if God chose you, if God made you, that's good enough. God will back you up. And so, it's the same—I think it's the same for every believer to do so. So, David tells Michael, hey, baby, it wasn't my plan, wasn't my idea. I was just keeping the sheep for daddy, writing some songs, playing my harp, killing some coyotes and bear and a lion. God just happened to choose me rather than your brothers or anyone else in your family. It's His idea. You ever read John 15, Jesus said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And He chose us to live a life that has eternal consequences. So folks might not like you. That's not your problem. He chose you. He chose me. Sorry. Wasn't my idea. I'd rather be flying jet fighters shooting down MiG somewhere, but He chose me. I didn't ask for this job. I didn't recruit. I didn't candidate. I didn't fill out a resume. I didn't want it. I got drafted into it, and if God chose you to lead a Bible study or God chose you to do something else or start a business or work with someone, hey, that's that's, nobody—that's their problem, not your problem. God chose you. Joel Osteen did not even ask for the job. He was editing film for his daddy for 20 years. And when daddy died, he got pulled out of the back by God, and the rest is history. And so, nobody likes him, and everybody's jealous of him, and he isn't this, and he doesn't do that, and he squints a lot when he preaches, and I hear all this stuff. And you know, if I were Joel Osteen, what I'd say, sorry, guys, he chose me. I'm sorry. You're stuck with it. He chose me. He could have chosen anybody. And I wish He had, but He chose me, so I'm not going to be apologetic. I'm not going to be embarrassed about it. That's just the way it is. It was His idea, not mine. So you have to know it's your day, and it's your hour. And unless you do, you'll always be apologetic, and fearful, and insecure. You got to know who you are, whose you are, and that God is with you, and He'll never forsake you. And last, number five, compassion. The whole city's focused on the Ark of the Covenant coming to town. Michael, she's focused on David's underwear. It's called majoring on minors. She didn't see the big picture. Why don't you have a communion table at the front? Don't want it. People who dance might bump into it. Where does it say I have to have a communion? Well, that's the way we've always done it. Why doesn't the choir have robes? Why do you have intelligent lighting? Because we're not dumb anymore. We've got smart lights. We're using the technology of the day to be effective in reaching people. You see, what's these people, uh, they don't get it. They major on minors. Uh, uh, It's frustrating, but it's life. Michael thought it was just a religious ceremony, a waste of time, and David says, no, I am bringing the presence, the power, and the glory of God to this city. And David goes on to say, as for these slave girls, those that have been bound up, those who have had their dignity stolen, those who have been oppressed all their life, those you spoke about, Michael, they're going to hold me in even more honor. Verse 23, therefore Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child until the day of her death. She was barren from that day forward. When you refuse, when you become the critic, and you become scornful of what God wants to do and what God does, and of His mighty acts and power, God just strikes you with barrenness. You're dead. You're going to be unfruitful, unproductive. You'll be a dead, barren church. You'll be a dead, barren person. God loves you, but you're barren. You mock anything God does that upsets your dignity. Too bad. You think God's worried about it? I don't think so. I don't want to be a barren church. I don't want to be a barren Christian. I want to be fruitful to the day I die. God says if you're planted in the house of God, I'll, I'll let you bear fruit, and even in old age you'll be fat and flourishing. It's not going to—you you ought to be able to produce more fruit when you get older. You might not dance as good, but you ought to bear as much fruit. You ought to have most of the dumb out of you by now, and you ought to be a little smarter and a little more effective. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. You don't need more therapy, more counseling, more handouts. You need freedom. The ark represents the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, and you and I are called to carry that presence where we live, work, and play. I was just thinking of how innocent things become really cool things. Uh, I walked through the, uh, I think I was at BJ's having a bowl of chili with somebody, Nathan or somebody, and and I walked right by, and there was Danielle uh, uh, Kimbrough, and she had one of her girlfriends uh, buying her lunch, witnessing to her, trying to get her to come over and visit church. And I happened to walk by at the same time. And so, we were there to extend friendship and be a witness right there over something simple as lunch. I, I see George Arujo sitting out here, and I remember something else even more simple. Uh, I was over at Nico LaHood. I didn't know George back then, just a little bit, but in the church. But, but I knew Nico, and so uh, he was showing me the damage done to his house by a contractor who took about $120,000 and tore up the house. Going to remodel it, tore it up. Just a disaster. And he didn't know what to do. And I'm standing there looking at it with him, and I says, you know, i got a friend, and he does this kind of stuff, and at least he could give you an assessment on what ought to be done and its approximate cost to make it right. And I'm sure he'd look at it if I asked him. So, I just picked up my cell phone. This is casual. No, no real spiritual thinking. And I called George, and I said, George, I, I'm over at a friend's, Nicola Hood's house. It's all torn to pieces. So can, could you make an appointment and come by and take a look at it and see what, what it would need to get fixed or something. And George says, well, I just happen to be on 281 with the family. I'm just about a mile from Borkfield Road. I'll just come right now. So, he drove in. He doesn't know Nico. Nico doesn't know him, and they get introduced. Make a long story short, over the preceding months that go by, they build a friendship of trust. George ends up remodeling the whole house beautifully. They build a friendship, and then those two Start a Bible study at Tuesday for people who are primarily unchurched, or they've had a bad church experience. They come from Catholic backgrounds, no background, dropped out, not interested in church. Some of them are CEOs, lawyers, different people in the political community as well. And they sit down there, 30 or 40 of them, it's 6 a.m. on Tuesdays, and here's George and Nico now, off a dumb cell phone call, a divine connection, and now the glory of God was affecting hundreds of people. And now they're on Thursday night for a whole church is welcome to come doing the same thing. And the impact of that one connection carrying God's presence, just a, I know a Christian friend that's trustworthy, hooked up that person, their influence brought God's glory to a whole impact of people, and their lives can be changed, transformed, and helped through something as incidental as a lunch, a meeting someone, and hooking somebody up. You just never know. You're carrying God's presence all the time. And so, Luke 24, 49, Jesus said, go into the whole world, but be sure you've got the glory on you, and whatever you, wherever you go, live out what I demonstrated. Luke 4, verse 18 and 19, the Spirit of God is upon me because He loves lost, bound, and broken people. Man, I hope—I hope you do. I hope we're not a church of exclusion, but inclusion. You, all of us come from different economic backgrounds, racial backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, home backgrounds. We all do. All kinds of we got people in here, some who are wealthy. We have people dirt poor. We have people that come from broken homes. We have people that come from good homes. We have high-end people, middle-income people, low-income people. We've got gangbangers, and we've got people who associate with political groups and country club groups, all kinds. Let me tell you a secret. At the foot of the cross, the ground is even. Everything is equal at the foot of the cross. So I don't care if it's a gangbanger. I don't care if it's somebody who's never been taught culture, manners, or discipline, who doesn't know how to behave or doesn't know how to dress. When they come into the family, like my home, throw out the welcome, Matt. Come in. We're so glad. We're honored you're here. We thank you. We, we love you. What can we do to serve you? Because God loves everybody. If you're only going to be friends with people you like and that you have the same things in common, you ain't going to have a lot of friends. Jesus was a friend of sinners. They're the ones that need help. Not you folks been saved 40 years. He's looking for people that don't know Him or have a wrong impression about Him. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12, last verse, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit has been given to you for the benefit of others. Everything God's given you, your gifts, your talent, spiritual gifts, your skill, everything He gave you isn't for you, it's for others. It's always about others with Jesus. He didn't come to serve Himself, He came for others. Can you understand that if he made you wealthy, it isn't just for you to buy more square footage, it's for the kingdom. It's to help people, to help the poor, Charitable our organizations. If he gave you a talent, don't sit on it, use it. Well, I don't like so into I don't like it. Well, get up and sing. Come to the practice. Share your talent. If you're just a friendly, loving person, be a greeter. You know, my wife will give you a body massage before you get in. And she'll remember your name. That's a gift. She'll remember your name. Randy Ross and I won't remember your name two minutes after we get the name. We don't remember. Good. I don't know if it's age, or we just didn't get the gift. The, the point is, it takes me—so here's a good—for you guys that don't remember, now. You say, hey, brother, how you doing, man? Good to see you. <laughs> when I say that, I want everybody to know Rick doesn't know my name. Okay. So, help me. Hey, Rick. It's Fred. It's Eddie. It's Julia oh, I love you for doing that. Help me. I need help. Yeah. Not we'll work for food. We'll be appreciative if you give me your name. Please, please. Yeah. Anybody like me out there? A few people? That's just not a gift I seem to have, but she does. But the whole thing is God gives it to us, resources, opportunity, influence, connections for the benefit of other people. That, that hook up with George and Nico wasn't for their benefit. It was for our dumb house. That, that was nice, but the benefit had far-reaching impacts for the kingdom spiritually and people's hearts and lives. And it still continues. See? Lost people matter to God. My friend John Webber, who's in heaven now, used to say all the time: the meeting place, that's the church, is the training place for the marketplace. The meeting place is the training place for the marketplace. We get equipped, we get empowered. We get healed. We get restored. And we take it right back out to the marketplace where we live, work, and play. It's not for church. It's for the world. It's just a non-religious way to do so. So lost people matter to God. So there has to be a commitment to sacrifice. Would generosity characterize your life? Enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. Are you passionate about what you do? Passion. Number three, celebration. Dance, clap, shout, praise, excitement, joy. Number four, boldness, confidence. It's my day, it's my hour. Know who you are, whose you are, and that God is with you. And Number five, compassion. And all of that, remember, the whole point is that people matter to God. People far from God matter supremely to Him. Treat them with respect and honor. Cindy drugged me to see a movie I didn't want to go see, but I'm glad I did, McFarland. Poorest county in California. A group of Hispanic migrant workers who pick crops had to run at 4.30 in the morning to the fields to pick, and then had to run back into town to make school on time. And a guy, a Caucasian man, saw potential for track and field out of these boys, and he made them state champs gave them dignity and self-worth, and they had a bad self-image, and the racism and bigotry that went on against them by other sports teams made me want to get up out of my chair and throw them down, stomp them in the face, and choke them in Jesus' name. I cannot—don't you dare, because you are so privileged. Can you imagine working eight hours like this for minimum wage or less, and you've never had that? You treat people that come from a background like that with utter kindness, utter respect. Lift their esteem. I told you, Bobby Cabello, who is security for my wife over here, and he works here at the church maintenance and goes around, what a, what a lovely guy, a Hispanic man. We went to a country club for lunch a couple of years ago, and Bobby took off his coat. So he had on his tie, he had on his dress shirt, and he's going over to the buffet. And this lady with her Louis Vuitton bag and her, her $14,000 worth of rings and jewelry and diamonds and watches came right over to him and said, you need to go seat those people right now, waiting at the table for the maitre d' to seat them. He said, ma'am, I don't work here. I'm eating here. And then she huffed off a back. And I wanted to take that old bag. I have a better word for that. And you should have said, I'm so sorry. I thought you worked here. Please forgive me. But she's not. She's a bigoted, self-conceited person who lives a very privileged life and doesn't give a damn about other people and to consider their feelings. If you were raised in that family, shame on you. And what kind of kids is she going to produce out there? In our home, in our family, we don't do that. We treat everybody with honor and respect. I told you I went to H-E-B for my wife and wore a red shirt. Worst thing I ever did. I got mauled by women. Excuse me, where's the celery? Excuse me, where are the—I said, ma'am, I am so sorry. I don't, I don't work here, but don't wear a red shirt to H-E-B. That's all I can tell you. you. You'll feel very loved and wanted. They'll be all over you. Bow your head with me. You've been wonderful. Your life matters to God. And that's why you're here. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, it's not your mother's Jesus. It's not your family. It's you. Have you. It's not about being baptized, being christened in a church. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus. Have you—oh, my parents took me as a baby, and they sprinkled some water on me. That's not what I asked you. Have you, with knowledge and your will, invited Jesus into your heart? for whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved." If you haven't, I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. If you're not sure, let me include you in my prayer. No one will embarrass you. No one will bother you, but let me know to include you in my prayer. If that's you this morning. God loves you. He's tracking you down. He's got a good plan for you, and it's not to abuse you or use you. It's to give you a future and a hope and to allow you to fulfill a purpose. He's already predestined for your life. He wants to connect you with it. So, if I can include you in my prayer, just let me know. Slip a hand up and take it down. That's all. Just let me know. God bless you upstairs. God bless you down here on the bottom. Thank you. Up in the stay out. I see you way up there. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. I'm going to ask everybody to pray with me, and all the church family pray together. We're a family. We're going to pray, and our friends that lifted a hand, I want you to pray with me out loud. Say, Lord Jesus, I confess You are the Son of God. I believe You died for me, rose from the dead. Come into my heart today as my Savior and Lord. Forgive my sin, and give me eternal life. Make me Your child. Thank You I have a hope and a future. Thank You Your plans for me are good and not evil, to prosper me and do me good. Thank you, Lord. I have a purpose. Help me to discover that purpose. Give me passion, enthusiasm, a spirit of generosity, and compassion for people far from God, so that I can carry your presence wherever I happen to go and be your agent for good news in a dark, broken world. In Jesus' name, I thank You. Amen. Can we say thank You? Now, come on, do a little praising. Do a little praising there. Hey! Woo! All right. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Get noisy. The coyotes always got that sign out there when it's—get noisy, get noisy, get noisy. Well, we're rallying around our great king, our great God. I need him all week. How about you? I need his provision, his protection. I need his wisdom. I, I, I need his help. Well, man, I'm not going to get far from him. I'm going to stay close. Get connected. It's a good thing. Invite him into your home. Pray for those children's bedrooms in there. They don't know what you're doing when they're gone. Go in there and bless them and pray for them. You've got authority to do so. And that, that blessing—listen, when Obedito made a choice, it affected his whole family. Kids included. It'll affect yours. I like to tell my kids, i told them a long time ago, I said, you can run, but you can't hide. I I gave my life to Jesus, and I dedicated you to Jesus. And you can run, but you can't hide. And you can pay me now, you can pay me later. But (laughs) God's going to get you because He's crazy about you, and He loves you. And you're not too far from Him, okay? For more information on Rick Godwin and product available, visit SummitSA.com and click on Bookstore.